0: podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Wednesday, April 28th. Trends, trends, trends. That's the name of today's podcast. That's going to be the focus of the show as well, as I want to talk about some of the numbers behind the players having success on Tuesday across the professional tennis world. Of course, right now, we've got two ATP 250 events going full steam in Munich and Estoril. the Action, entering the round of 16 play here on Wednesday, going to be four exciting singles matches at both of those events. Of course, coming down the pipeline is a WTA 1000-level event in Madrid. The draws released on Tuesday. I want to give my thoughts on those draws. There are a plethora of exciting first-round matches, exciting scenarios as you move forward through the draw. I think all but like two of the top 30 players in the world entered in Madrid. So, want to obviously share my thoughts on that event. We've also got some challenger action going on. I'm just going to talk about that briefly as uh, David Gertler, our Crack Rackets contributor, is going to be joining me on Wednesday for a Great Shout podcast episode that has a challenger theme as well. And then, I do want to talk about some non-on-court related news from the tennis world. Our friends over at Wimbledon offering us an update on what their 2021 event is going to look like of course the reason i'm able to do all of this day in day out here on the mini break podcast is because of the support we get from all of you listeners from our cracked rackets patreon family and of course from our friends at midwestsports.com if you Would like to find the best equipment at the best prices, turn to MidwestSports.com. You use our promo code CR15. You'll get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. Best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls, midwestsports.com. That promo code is CR15. One other thing, I want to mention some of the other content we have right now available at crackrackets.com. We've got two articles for you, one from Crack Rackets contributor David Gertler, the other from contributor Damian Koos. Damian, wrote about Christian Guerin and why he is a player to watch during this clay court stretch of the 2021 season. David wrote about Jensen Brooksby, the young American. So much success here in the 2021 season. He's won three challenger titles, made another final as well, and you know has certainly reminded all of us fans of why we felt so much promise about his game early on when he was you know a 17 18 year old winning Kalamazoo and you know uh winning first round matches at the US Open so if you are interested in either of those pieces, you can read them both on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, on our various podcasts, Damian Koost, his friend Yaka Babro hosting their new Monday ATP Challenger-themed episode of the Great Shot podcast. This week on the Cracked Interviews podcast, we had Tennessee Associate Head Coach James McKay, who talked about his team's dramatic 4-3 victory Over Florida in the SEC Championship, Chris Halliores and Matt Stokoyak are going to be joining me on Thursday for a Great Shot podcast recapping all of last week's exciting conference play. Worth noting here at the top, we do have a little bit more college tennis conference play here before we get into the full postseason stretch. We've got the Big Ten, the Atlantic Ten, Big Sky, Big West, Colonial Horizon, Patriot Summit, and WAC, the WAC Western Athletic Conference, I believe, uh, all with their postseason conference, or I suppose their conference tournaments is the term for that here this week. So plenty of exciting action happening across the tennis world to catch up on all of it. Be sure to turn to our website, CrackRackets.com. With that in mind, let's talk about Tuesday's results on the ATP Tour, and let's start with the event in Munich, where if you're a Patreon subscriber here at Cracked Rackets, you know that was where my match of the day was. And it featured two, I'm going to say, still relatively young and up-and-coming players. Certainly one of them, Sebastian Corda, a player. All of us have our eyes on the also 20-year-old American crazy-thinking Korda. Uh, he and Brooksby, excuse me, the same age, Nakashima right there as well. The next next-gen is here in American Men's Tennis, folks. It's crazy to think because I still sincerely believe that Fritz, Tiafo, Opelka, Tommy Paul, you know, Mackie McDonald, all of those guys, their best tennis is still ahead of them. But you look at the guys like Korda, Nakashima, Brooksby, that's not slowing them down. They're ready to get to the top of the game. They're ready to compete with their American peers and their peers around the globe right here, right now. But the reason I say sort of a couple of rising stars is Daniel Galan technically qualifies as the original next-gen ATP crew. He was born 1996. Still 24 years old. I mean, that's younger than me. I consider that next-gen, absolutely. But Galan has been playing his best tennis. And again, this is one of the trends I want to discuss. When you look at the results, tennis is a game, you know, it's very straightforward. If you watch enough of it, you can tell. This guy's forehand, good. This guy's serve, good. This guy's backhand, bad. This guy at the net, not comfortable. This guy needs to probably cut back on the Taco Bell so he can become a better mover on the court. And, you know, when you watch Daniel Galan... Just it, it's the way if you would, and I've made this comparison before to those of you who recall watching Kyle Edmund, the also still talented, he's in 1995 or he's dealing with injuries right now, but former Australian Open semifinalist, young British talent, such a forehand centric game, right? Looks to hit the inside out, inside out, inside in combo, looks to hit forehands at all points of the court. That's exactly what Daniel Galan looks to do as well. And while Edmond's forehand, I would say, is a little bit more of a drive, Galan's heavy topspin based forehand absolutely rips through these clay courts. And you look for Daniel Galan, who entered the re- week ranked number 115, which was five off his career high of number 110, which he reached at the start of April. He's had a ton of success. Over his last 52 weeks, he's 29-22 and 22 overall during that stretch of time. He reached the third round of the French Open. He was a lucky loser after he lost final round of qualifying, but ended up getting victories over Cam Nori and Tennis Sandgren before bowing out to Novak Djokovic. He followed that up with a challenger title in Lima on the clay. Got a couple of good wins there over Roberto Carbeas-Bena, Marcelo Tom- tomas Barrios, vera Tiego Tarante. He continued that success here to start the 2021 season. And, you know, he's used his ranking number 110-115 range to try and play ATP-level events. He goes and plays the South American clay court swing and, you know, gets into Cordoba, loses first round, but then follows that up with a semifinal in Santiago, beats Altmaier and Duhara cabrera Benia again before bowing out to Christian Guerin. He loses first round Acapulco, but it was to Caspar Root, and it was very clear. Who was playing good tennis in South America. He used that momentum to reach the round of 32 at the Miami Masters, the furthest he had ever gone at a Masters event. He beats Tiago sabath beats Alex Diemenauer before being knocked out by Lorenzo Sinego here in Munich this week. Straight set wins in qualifying over Misha Zverev and Norbert Gombos. And now, here's a 6-1, 7-6 win over talented young American Sebastian Corda. What's worth noting in this match is that Galan went up 6-1, I believe it was 4-1 and 5-2 on Corda before Korda was able to fight his way back. And you have to give the young American credit. And because Galan is such a forehand-centric player, you think to yourself, well, I gotta get that ball to the outside of the court. I gotta find his backhand, just not allow him to move me around the court and hit forehands everywhere. But I have to say, the tactical adjustment Corda made that I thought was kind of brilliant was actually playing to that deuce side of the court, the forehand wing of Golan. Because Golan is so comfortable playing inside out, inside out, inside out, working you just slightly inch by inch over and over towards the doubles alley before he pulls the trigger on an inside in forehand you know, Corda was like, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to play you straight up. If there's open space to the forehand, that's what I'm going to go to. If there's open space on the backhand, that's what I'm going to go to. I'm going to try and take some returns a little bit earlier. And you look for Daniel Galan. Well, he's had a lot of success on his first serve. He struggled on his second serve. And today he struggled again, won only 48% of his second serve points. And that's because his second serve, which is a kick serve, you know, a high-bouncing kick serve, it sat up right in Corda's strike zone. He started taking that ball early, being aggressive, was able to fight his way back, actually had a set point in that second set tiebreaker, was a long rally that Golan ended up winning with, A, very good patience, but B, good hands at the net as well. And, you know, it was a great adjustment from Corda, but Credit to Galan, who ran up a—you know, that first set was about as good of a first set as you're going to see uh, from any player on these clay courts, just the way he was able to work Corda to the outer thirds, the way he was moving the ball around the court, the way he was comfortably hitting through his backhand as well to set up the the first forehand on that ad side of the court. Galan just hits an explosive ball, and again, it, it's very Kyle Mindy and how frequently he wants to hit forehands and how, you know— how how central how central hitting forehands is to the rest of his game, but. The forehands explosive. And again, on, on a clay court, with how heavy topspin based the shot is, it rips through the courts and he was able to keep Corda on his back foot. Corda wasn't able until down, you know, 6 1 5 2 to really start doing any sort of dictating. And it's a credit to Gallant, who played first strike tennis, who kept Corda on the move, and now advances to the round of 16. And you look for him, I mentioned it 29 and 22 in his last fifty two. You look for him now for his career. Career in ATP level matches, he's 19 and 15, and you know that's a lot of that were Davis Cup reps he's had for Colombia. But I mean, you look of late, the wins over Carbeas-Bena, over Diminauer, over Sebastian Corda, the wins over Tennis Sandgren, Cam Nori, all of them have come, uh, you know, in the last 52 weeks, and it speaks to the fact that really since the start, I would say, of 2019. But this is a guy who's gotten better and better in every professional season he's played and is clearly playing the best tennis of his career with his victory, Galan. Now, inside the top 110 for the first time in his career, or excuse me, at number one third, Well, he is at number 110, but he's going to get knocked out because I believe Pedro Sosa uh, ended up winning his qualifying match and it hasn't updated, but it hasn't updated for Galan yet either. And I believe he's going to jump him and be at number 108 now in the live rankings with his first round victory. So credit to Galan, who's inching closer and closer to that top 100. And you look via Tennis Abstracts ELO ratings again, which means measures who you play how badly you're you know what your score is how badly you're beating them or losing to them galan uh currently number 152 by overall elo rating you look here in 2021 galan uh number let's see what is daniel galan number 156 interesting i think that's a little low i think he has been closer to a top 100 player in the past 52 weeks than otherwise you look for his clay court uh uh, ratings Clearly, he is inside the top 50 of the ELO ratings as a clay quarter. Yeah, I think that's fair. Still limited sample size in hardcourt results. Certainly, the Miami round of 32 will help him. But for Galan, trends, trends, trends. He won that challenger title on the clay in Lima. He's now made, you know, comes through qualifying, French Open third round. He makes semifinals in Santiago, now comes through qualifying, wins his round of 32 match here In Munich, he is a guy you don't want to face early in the event unless, I mean, if you're a top 10 seed, fine. But, you know, if you're an unseeded player and you draw Daniel Galan first round of the French Open, you're not going to be happy with that draw because, again, ELO ratings and his recent results reflect the fact that he is certainly a top 100, maybe even top 50 player on the clay. In terms of from the Corda side, I mean, he just went down such a big deficit, but credit to him for fighting his way back. Had he stolen that second set, I think he wins the match in three. Physically, he looked as locked in at the end of the second as he did to start the match. I'm not concerned at all. 20 years old, and he continues to have success and just appear like he 1,000% belongs at the ATP level. This result had more to do with Golan than it did to Korda, so credit to Gallan for advancing to the next round. Another match I want to talk about from Munich, Mackie McDonald, 6-4, 6-4 victory over the Deuce. You look for Mackie here on the week. Three wins now for him in Munich. Also came through qualifying, gets a win over Gojewicz, gets a win over Andre Martin, now gets a win over the Deuce 4-4. What's been working so well for him? His first serve, his past two matches, he's won 725 and 79.5% of his first serve points. He's on the week in Munich faced 10 total break points he saved 8 of them and you know if you've only been broken 2 times in 3 matches you're probably going to end up in the winner circle and you look for Mackie McDonald again what's the trend line for him 28 and 15 in his last 52 matches oh, last 52 matches excuse me last 52 weeks that includes for him coming through qualifying even though it was a first round loss in the Western and Southern Open but winning a first round match at Roland Garros he of course, made round of 16 at this year's Australian Open, followed that up by winning a challenger title in Nur Sultan. He comes through qualifying in Miami, wins his first round match before bowing out in 3-2 Isner. I mean, he's belonged at the ATP level. You look in the last 52 weeks, 10-10, but when you're playing 500 ball, that's usually going to keep you inside the top 75, top 60, and you look for Mackie, who of course had a terrible injury in 2019 and you know was finally healthy at the start of 2020 right when the pandemic hits but I got the chance to see him at an exhibition event in Miami and it was so clear that he was ready to get back into the top 100 back where he belongs and you know now he's back up to number uh with his win today number 119 so he's inside the top 120 once again I mean today against the Deuce he just he, he moves the ball so well. He beats you to the spot. His athleticism, he can hit through any court. And yeah, it's a flatter shot, but the deuce was hitting heavy top spin off of both wings, and Mackey's able to absorb and redirect as well as anyone. Let me repeat that. He absorbs and redirects as well as anyone. I see on the ATP tour, and again, he's not the biggest, and so sometimes when he's got, well, he can generate his own pace, that's so what's so impressive about him, but sometimes that's when the error comes, that's when he starts to miss in the net tape, or, you know, miss that approach out a little bit longer, wide, case in point, the match he lost to Christian Harrison in the Orlando Challenger, but... He's looked comfortable moving on these clay courts. He is as athletic a player as you're going to find on the ATP tour. I thought today in particular, again, his ability to you know, force Dusan Lajovic to take that return six, seven, eight feet behind the baseline, and then his ability to just hit that first ball to the open court, beat the Deuce to the spot. There were some incredible rallies, some incredible athleticism. The Deuce did a lot of the dictating, but... Mackey was comfortable on his back foot. He's that sort of athlete. Again, you look for him in his last 52, 65% uh, win percentage. He's 28-15. and He's winning 72% of his first serves, holding 81% of the time. Breaking serve, 26.7% of the time. Those splits would be good for top 30 numbers in the top 15. Again, that's unadjusted for competition. But you look for Mackey now. Here in 2021... Round of 16 at the Australian Open, wins a match in Marseille, wins a match in Miami, wins a match in the warm-up event at the Australian Open. The only time he's lost first round at an ATP event this year was in Delray Beach, his first match of the season that he lost 3-4 and four to Sam Querrey. Yeah. Mackie McDonald's back. He belongs at the ATP level. It's when, not if, he's going to return to the top 100. And once he gets back, I think he's going to stay there as long as he's healthy. He outplayed the Deuce today. And again, the heavy topspin of the Deuce, kind of a perfect matchup for Mackie in this scenario. He moves on to the round of 16, where he will now today face Ilya Avashka. That should be an exciting match. And it's, you know, again, one of a couple of exciting matches we now have set up in the round of 16. Let's look again at some of the last matches for how we got there. Your other three set results on the day. Good day for the former college tennis standouts. I mentioned Mackie McDonald, former NCAA singles and doubles champion. Dom Kofor, Former number one player in the nation, Fortune Lane earns a 4 6 victory over fellow countryman Philip Kohlschreiber, Yannick Hanofman the former USC Team National Champion, a 7-6 in the third victory over Belgrade semifinalist Taro Daniel. I'm telling you folks. Go watch Hanifman hit some of these college players, whether it's Nuno Borges and Estrel, Yannick Hanifman here. I mean, the kick serves they can hit. Is that what we're doing in college tennis? We're teaching all these players how? I mean, the answer is yes. And just look at how well-rounded their games are. They are comfortable moving forward, being at the net, because you have to learn a well-rounded skill set to be the best player in college tennis because of the doubles component. Because, you know, if you want to be respected truly as the best players, you can't just bring it on the singles court. you got to bring it in doubles as well. And to be successful in doubles, you have to learn how to be comfortable at the net. And I just think all of these guys, Mackie, Yannick, Kopfer, uh, they're all comfortable moving forward, comfortable at the net. Even Tennis Sandgren, who former standout at Tennessee, was a six uh seven six love six six one loser today to Pablo Cuevas, but he has such a well-rounded skill set as well. Sneaky good hands at the net. His ability to hit that drop volley today in particular was impressive, but you know, he needed that first set. And unfortunately, Cuevas ended up winning that breaker. He ends up moving on as well. Your other victors today, number 5, seed Nicolas Bachelosvili, 6-2, 6-3 win over Thiago Montiero, Jan-Leonard Struuf, a 6-4, 6-3 win over Andre Martin. Those were your round of 32 results and sets up today's round of 16 where we've got a couple, our top two seeds, I should say, in action for the first time. Number 1 seed, Alexander Zverev going to be taking on lucky loser, Ricardis Barrancas, Casper Ruud going to be playing Pablo Cuevas. You've also got Mackie back in action against Ilya Ivashka, John Milman, your number eight seed, who was a three set winner against Alexi Paparin on Monday, going to take on the talented Argentinian lefty Guido Pea. So again, top to bottom should be a very fun Wednesday over in Munich. Let's move on now to the action in Estoril where, again, round of 32 now officially in the books after Wednesday's play couple of interesting matches, two three-setters on the day. Let's start with Marin Cilic, who has struggled of late. Both, you know, again, the numbers, this is a trend. He's 12-14. and 14. Uh, You look for him. He had a stretch where he lost, let's see, how many matches in a row. I believe it was four matches in a row. He loses to Ugo Humbert three sets in Paris. He then loses to Jonas Fjortek, the talented young Czech uh, in Sofia. Following that to start the season... Loses 7 6 to the third in the third to Jeremy Chardy in the Australian Open warm up event. Loses in straight sets to Dimitrov in Australia. He's 12-24 overall in his last 52, but has absolutely steadied the ship of late. You look at his results since Australia, was a semifinal in Singapore where he lost 6-6 six six to Alexey Paparin. He then loses a first-round match in Acapulco to Corda, which you can understand, but bounces back and earns wins over Correa, Guerin, and Musetti before getting knocked out in the round of 16 In Miami to Andre Rublev. It was a first round loss to him in Monte Carlo, for him in Monte Carlo to David Goffin, but that was a three set result. And now he gets a win over Tennis Abstracts, number 36th ranked clay court player in talented young Spaniard, Carlos Alcaraz, 6'31664. I mean if you look for Chilich, you look at the numbers it's very much of reflective of what you see when you watch him play his first serve percentage his first serve points 1 his second serve points 1 his hold percentage all 5% lower than his career averages in their respective stats. He's gone from, you know, about 82% hold percentage to about 77%. He's gone from about a, you know, uh an 80% 79% first serve win per, uh win percentage on his first serve points to 75%. His second serve typically that 51-52 range right now at 47. Uh yeah, just You know, it's reflective of the fact that he has lost a half step, maybe even a step and a half as a mover, and isn't able to use his wingspan to get to the ball a little bit early and then, you know, use his leverage, his length to take that ball early, beat you to the spot. He was such a dynamic mover, such a fluid athlete for his size in the prime of his career. And respectfully, for the 32 year old who turns 33 in September, uh, that prime is in the rearview mirror. Now, that's not to say he can't be a top 50 player. That's not to say he needs to retire right now. Absolutely not. It's just, again, let's play a game of expectation setting. Should Marin Cilic play a competitive match against qualifier Carlos Alcaraz? Absolutely. That's how good the young Spaniard has been. And again, that's just the stage Cilic is at now, but a credit to him in today's match, you know, uh, was able to when 60% of his first serve points was able to convert 5 of his 14, but earned 14 breakpoint chances, won 46% of his return points, 50.3% of the total points in the match. This was an either-or affair. This was absolutely a toss-up. You could tell as the match went on. alcaraz's pace, his ability to mix in the drop shot, the heaviness of his forehand, was beating Chilich to the spot but Chilich did an excellent job of capitalizing whenever Alcaraz hit a second serve and again created a bunch of break point chances for himself was ultimately able to get the breaks he needed in sets 1 and 3 in a 6-3 1-6 6-4 victory and he looks dangerous He's he again he there are to expect him week in, week out to be the Marin that he was 2015, 16, 17, 18, that's no longer the case. To expect him to be able to make round of 16s, quarterfinals, absolutely, he's still going to be doing that. And I'm really excited for his match against Nuno Borges tomorrow, the former Mississippi State All-American NCAA singles finalist, most underrated player in my opinion, in men's college tennis of the 2010s. Uh, he is playing some outstanding tennis of late. I think he's like 45 and 11 since the tour resumed in August. Hasn't proven it. You know, never made an ATP level quarterfinal in his career. A win over Chilich would clearly be the biggest win of his professional career, but you know, has the sort of weapons that can hurt chilich The big kick serve, the big forehand that Alcaraz had as well. He's also a little bit stronger, and so I think he's going to be able to take his return a little bit, you know, the return of serve for Chilich a little bit earlier and a little bit further into the court than Alcaraz wants to. I'm looking forward to that match very much, but a credit to Marin Chilich for bouncing back after a tough second set. Looks like he had lost the thread, but ultimately was able to advance to the round of sixteen. In terms of your other three-set match for Quarantine Moutet, talented young lefty Frenchman, a 6-4, 6-7, 6'4 win over Marcos Giron. You look for Moutet now, who entered the week ranked number seventy-three in the world. The recently turned twenty-two-year-old now fourteen and ten in his last fifty-two weeks. He's going to take on Denis Shapovalov now in the round of sixteen. You look for him in his career at the ATP level now, Moutet currently 26 and 34 overall but you know 12 and 18 on clay that includes a run to the third round of the 2019 French Open, you know, for him last year, play that 18-16 fifth set match against Lorenzo Giustino. But, you know, it, it was good Barcelona for him. He beat Kopfer, He beat Evans before getting knocked out by Schwartzman. You look for him in Sardinia uh, last year on the clay. He beat Tiafo before getting knocked out by Albert Ramos. Vinoles, uh, you know, back in 2019, got a win over Guido Pea in Cordoba. He's going, you know, in his career across levels, he is 111 and 62 on clay versus 74 and 61 on hard courts. It's the surface he prefers the most because he's such a comfortable mover on the surface. His, you know, he, it's a little harder to overwhelm him with sheer power, sheer pace on uh, the slow clay courts. And then his creativity, his ability to incorporate slices, his ability to hit two angles, to open up the outer thirds of the court, create space for himself. I mean, you look up uh, between the two. His serve percentages are actually, you know, his hold percentage is 4.8% 4.8% higher on hard courts. It goes from 72.8% on hard courts to 68% on clay. By the way, a 68% hold percentage, that's not very good, but he goes from 26.6% break percentage on hard courts, which is still a pretty, you know, that's always been the strength of his game, and uh, that's a pretty good number. That's a top 30 number if adjusted for ATP top 50 competition, but on clay courts, that break percentage jumps from 26.6 to 348 percent, 34.8% would place him second right now on the ATP leaderboard and would be better than the numbers of Prime, Djokovic, and Nadal. So it speaks to the fact that when the serve is slowed down and he has an extra half second, he is so accurate with his placement of his return. That's what he did particularly well in his uh, victory here today against, uh, you look for him against Marcos Girón and for Mute, You know, It was also a good day for him on the first serve. He made 72 points. 7% of his first serves ends up winning 71% of those first serve points uh saves 5 of the 8 break points he faced and again this was a 3 hour physical slugfest but that's the sort of match Moutet wants to play and actually got to give some credit to Garonne here it was an incredible match for him to you know who's still working to become more comfortable on the clay who slides out of his shots doesn't slide into them but you know was able to take that second set breaker 9-7 and just stick around throughout the course of the match, hold serve with the frequency he needed to, but again, on the clay courts, Quarantine Mute. Uh, he's significantly higher via clay court ELO rating than he is via overall ELO rating, and he was spectacular today. A three-set win for him over Marcos Girón. Last match I want to talk about quickly. I want to run through the other scores as well, but Pedro Martinez-Portero, now 26-13 uh, and 13 in his last 52 weeks of competition. That includes runs to challenger, uh to a challenger title in Marbella, a run to a challenger final in Alicante. Of course, at last year's French Open, he came through qualifying to make the third round before getting knocked out by Sebastian Corda. In Rome last year, he came through qualifying before winning a main draw match and losing to Denis Shapovalov. You look for him in his career on clay. That's been the surface that he's had his most success. He's 235 and 125, so he's won 65% of his clay court matches. He's 46 and 40 on hard courts. He's ranked number 100 in the world right now. The recently turned, and recently turned by that I mean it was Monday, happy belated birthday to Pedro Martinez-Portero, the now 24 year old you look in his last 52 weeks again in clay court matches 23 and 8 overall you look for him uh, what has he's been so effective at he's breaking serve 38.1 percent of the time folks again that's a ridiculous number and he's done a lot of this at the ATP level he's 23 and 8 overall on the clay you look at the ATP level 4 and 4 but that doesn't include his qualifying victories in Rome in Roland Garros as as well, you look for him here over these past few weeks in Marbella. He lost a first-round match, three and six, to Ivashka, But of course, Ivashka went on to get a set against Nadal uh, in the subsequent weeks. He got a lucky loser uh, spot in Monte Carlo, but had to retire in his first-round match to Tommy Paul. But his bounce back here in Estoril comes through qualifying, gets wins over Van de Sande, and Hoosler before beating Sasha Bublik. And I just think watching Pedro Martinez talk about a guy who's going to track down every ball you throw at him who does have an explosive forehand not quite as explosive as some of the other guys we've talked about here today but you know can certainly move that ball well around the court it's well suited for a clay court is able to swing through his backhand as well comfortable hitting the serve and playing plus one tennis just a really well-rounded solid player does he have a ceiling top 40? Top 50? I don't know. I'm sure he could sneak into the top 50. All of these guys, in theory, if things break right, could sneak into the top 50, but Pedro Martinez Portero, at 24 years old, is playing the best tennis of his career right now, and just physically presents such a tough option. Again, not a guy you want to see in your first round match at the French Open, but a great result for him here today. A 6-3-6 love win over Sasha Bublaku. You know, just he didn't really have it to for Pedro Martinez Portero he was 36 of 47 overall so winning 77% of his service points doesn't matter that he you know he only earned six break chances for himself compared to the four Bublik created he only needed the two breaks of serves as he fought off all four break points he faced and ultimately again he advances in straight sets to the round of 16. In terms of your other results on Tuesday, all straight set results the rest of the way. ramos Vinolas 3-3 three and three over Fernando Verdasco. Chechenato, an impressive 3-4 and four win over Lloyd Harris, particularly given Lloyd Harris has that one thing, the big serve that you'd think would be able to expose the one-handed backhand of Chechenato, but no. On these clay courts, he looks so comfortable, fits like a hand in a glove. He, again, gets the victory uh, over Lloyd Harris. You're other winners, big win for Richard Gasquet, 3-5 over Juan Ignacio Landero, pierre Us Herbert. 5-3 over fellow countryman Jill Simone, and then Cam Norrie knocks out Portugal's João Sosa, 6-1, six, 6-3 six, win, Norrie's just been damn good, Norrie... Belongs in the top 75, belongs in the top 60, dare I say, top 50 player. And you look for Cam Nori right now, former number one college player in the nation. He is smack dab at number 50 in the live rankings. I mean, that's correct. Let's see where he's at right now in ELO ratings. Cam Norrie right now via Tennis Abstracts, ELO ratings, number 48 overall. You look at the yearly ELO ratings. He's number 19. That was the big number. I knew there was going to be an outlier like that because he is now 16-8 and overall in his 2021 season. He's doing it on clay courts now, too. Just moves the ball so well around the court and you know physically just tracks down everything. Such a tough out and can provide Him pop and just places his serve, and there's so much nice action, and it's a lefty slice serve as well. Uh so again he took advantage of the draw, 6-1, 6-3 victory for him over Jao Sosa to advance to the round of 16, where we've got four round of 16 matches planned on Wednesday in Estoril. It's going to be, as mentioned, Chilich taking on Nuno Borges. We've also got Kevin Anderson, who had that three-set win over Tiafo. Tiafo served for that match, I believe had a match point, uh, or maybe he didn't have a match point, but he definitely served for the match. Uh, he's taken on lucky loser Roberto Carbella's. Who was the lucky loser, or why was he a lucky loser? Because he lost to Nuno Borges in the final round of qualifying. Uh, Your other matchups, I'm really excited for Ugo Umber, who has, I believe, a sub-500 record for his career on clay, which is surprising. Given he's had some good results on the dirt, they just seem to be one-off results, but he takes on Cecciadano tomorrow. And then a fascinating match that I discussed at length on my Great Shot podcast, Ace of the Day segment on Tuesday. Jeremy Chardy taking on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. I gave the breakdown there, so I'm not going to repeat myself here if you want to hear more about that match or any of the plays I have on Wednesday. Be sure, again, to go check out that Great Shot podcast feed. But again, overall, two round of 16 days on the ATP Tour level. You've got the 250 in Estral, the 250 in Munich. Both both promise—excuse me, I'm losing my train of thought here— both promise to deliver us some phenomenal tennis here on Wednesday. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor, to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the Red Clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of world team tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. Let's switch gears now and talk about that WTA 1000 level event coming down the road in Madrid draws released on Tuesday, boy. There are some doozies, folks. 27 of the top 30 women in the world entered in this Madrid event. The only ones missing, Sonia Kennan, who's still working her way back from injury. Bianca Andreescu, who we learned, unfortunately, tested positive for COVID. We are wishing her a safe and speedy recovery. And then, of course, we're going to be missing Serena Williams as well. Not ready to make her clay court debut, but everyone else all entered in this event. Ooh, I'm missing one more. I should have mentioned Diana Yastrzemska, who I'm not including in this moment because she's currently suspended due to a doping violation. So outside of them, uh, essentially everyone. And you look even beyond the top 30. I'm seeing top 50 players. Donna Vekic is missing. She's currently injured. Podoroska had to c- pull out of the event. She's currently injured. Ditto with Danielle Collins, Fiona Farrow. Everyone else is either in qualifying or or playing this event in Madrid inside the top 50, that's how stacked the draw is. Let me just read some of these first round, not second round, not third round, not quarterfinal potential matchups, first round matchups we have across the board. We'll start with Jessica Pegula. Uh, I don't know why that's where I'm starting. It's just the first name I see, but she's, you know, pencil her into quarterfinals by ELO ratings. She's been a top 20 player here this season, maybe even a top 15 player. She plays... Perhaps the hottest player in women's tennis right now, Serana Kirstea, who blitzed her way through that Istanbul draw last week. She was hitting through everyone. It's a tough first-round matchup for Pagula. That's a fun one. That was just a chaser, folks. You're like, oh, that matchup's not good. Don't worry. It's getting better. Not that good. It's getting better and better. You know who Pagula Kirstea play? the winner of? That's why we call it, what in the business, a tease, folks. They play the winner of a Ekaterina Alexandrova, who looked phenomenal in Stuttgart, And number 12 seed, Vika Azarenka. Alexandrova versus Azarenka is a first-round matchup. Oh, that's not spicy enough for you? Let's move down the draw a little bit further. We've got a first-round matchup versus number three seed, uh, Simona Halep. And unseeded but, you know, star of the first third of the season, Sarah Saribas-Tormo. That match is going to get physical, folks. Oh, that's not good enough for you? We'll move down one more spot where number six seed, Karolina Pliskova. Starting off her campaign, Against some pesky young American by the name of Coco Gauff. You keep going. Kuznetsova, Ostapenko, Venus versus Jennifer Brady, Sakari versus Anisimova, the potential for a Mukova Osaka second round matchup, Contave and Uh, probably going to play the winner of Sakari Anisimova. By the way, all of that, that's just one half of the draw. On the other side, you've got first-round matchups between Kerber and Vondrusova, Svitolina and Teichman, Muguruza and Stevens, Barty and Shelby Rogers. That's a rematch of a three-set match we saw in Charleston a few weeks ago. I mean, yeah, when only... Five or six of the top 50 players in the world are missing from an event. That's the sort of stacked field you have. And you look, who are the top seeds here this week? Number one seed, Ashley Barty. Two seed, Osaka, who's kicking off her clay campaign. Your three seed here this week is Simona Halle, Four seed, Svitolina. Five, Savalanka. Six seed here in the week, Pliskova. Seven seed, uh, Kiki Burtons, who's back in the draw. She's got Victoria Jimenez, uh, Kasten Seva in her first match. And then your number eight eighth seed here on the week uh, is Belinda Benchich. I believe, speaking of which, I think I'm missing a first-round matchup. I I remember getting really excited about one, and I haven't brought it up yet. Kvitova and Buzkova is obviously exciting. I think I'm missing one more. It doesn't matter. Oh, Putin, Save and Kanta. That's a really, really fun matchup as well. So certainly, again, up and down the board, you've got a potential Sabalinga-Kasikina round two. They're both, you know, by Tennis Abstract's ELO rating, two of the six best players during this 2021 WTA season stacked. That's the only world I can think of when I think about this Madrid draw. I'm very excited to have access to Press Row. Certainly, the play is going to deliver the goods here this week uh, in Madrid. You look at the results we've seen thus far. We did have some qualifying action. Could have been a main draw match. Ana Konya, 7-6, win over number 12 seed in qualifying talented young Canadian Layla Fernandez. Your other winners, uh, Polona Herzog, who got a win over Yafan Wang, uh, Sevastova three sets over Peronkaba, Janovic. three sets over Paolini, Bernardo Pera, three set win over Bolsova, Vogel, straight set win over Heather Watson. Sets up a really fun day of final round qualifying action tomorrow, by the way, even if you're not, or you're, you're waiting for the main draw, you don't need to, because tomorrow in play, you've got, kostyuk Sevastova That could be a main draw and a first-round French Open match. You've got C vs. Tomaro Zidancic. Sasnovich vs. Siegman. Kozlova vs. Diaz. Potapova vs. Mladenovic. Smedova vs. Savonareva, Pera versus Herzog. Konya versus Stojanovic. Sign me up. Like that could be a first round day, and it's a final round of qualifying day in Madrid. Speaks to how exciting that action is going to get at the 1000 level event again in Madrid, which I believe is scheduled to begin its main draw play on Thursday. That's, you know, again, my extended thoughts. Uh, Sabalenka and uh, Sabalenka excuse me uh, Barty and Halep are my two favorites entering any clay event they're in and they're equal favorites they're on a plane above everyone else I'm fascinated to see what Osaka looks like I do think Garbine Muguruza and Iga Swiatek are the next tier of contenders if Halep and Barty are tier one Muguruza Swiatek, and you know there are a couple others I would throw in there Sabalenka always would be tier number two uh, maybe you could argue Svitolina's on the bottom half of Tier 2 or top half of Tier 3. We'll save those tiers for when we get closer to the tiers, both literally and uh, metaphorically uh, for when we get closer to the French Open. But again, that's my thoughts for now on the action in Madrid. I look forward to sharing more thoughts as the play unfolds there over the next week. Uh, But with that in mind, let's talk quickly about the challenger action and then again a little bit of news from Wimbledon here down the home stretch. Three challengers going on this week we'll start in Orleans and again I'm going to be covering all this challenger action extensively with Crack Rackets contributor David Gertler on tomorrow's great shot podcast so I really I guess am just going to blitz through this your winners thus far are your seeds I should say knocked off in Orleans the uh, number two seed Tiago sabath knocked off by Alex Mulcan today the qualifier six one six four. other than that Barrere Bonzi Pullman Stabilo all advancing Acheverry a three-set win over Kolar that's a match I promise you we're going to be talking about on the GSP La Heka. really nice win for him over Constant Lestien you had wins from Sh- Braden Schnur really nice 6-2-1 6-6-1 win for him over Marcelo Thomas Barrios Vera he seems to have refound his rhythm here in 2021 it's been an exciting start to, uh, or to the Ostrava, I think I said Orleans, excuse me, the Ostrava uh, challenger. And again, tomorrow you've got round of 16 action. Schnur versus Rinderneck, Bayez versus Mokan, Klein versus Rosal, Emer versus Stakowski will be a fun round of 16 affair in Rome. Your number one seed has been knocked out. Demir Zumher loses to Qualifier Nino Serdarusic six two six seven six three. 2 uh, Your number five and seven seeds also knocked out. Colorini, 6164 over Hugo Gaston, Giostino, 6175 over Juan Pablo Varillas. your other winners on the day. Juan Manuel Sarandolo the talented young Argentinian ATP title winner earlier this year, 5 and 5 win over Lamasin. We are definitely going to be talking about that tomorrow. Kukanakis, 3 and 2 over Yannick Maiden, Philip Milligini, Rodriguez Elves, 3 and 4 over Enzo Kakaud, Pellegrino, Marcora, Ickel, uh, co- uh, your other winners. On the day in Rome, of course, tomorrow, you've got round of 16 actions scheduled to take place. It's going to be Kokonakis versus Gao, Zepieri versus Melagini, uh, Muller versus Serendolo, uh Vers Clark. That's the action in Rome in uh, Salinas, Ecuador. We had the conclusion of one challenger, Nicolas Yari in the winner's circle. We'll talk about that tomorrow. We also had win uh, wins from in part two of the event. Skander Mansouri, Nicolas, uh, with a win over number two C.G.L. Almena as you look for Mansouri, six seven, six, four, seven, six victory for him. Tim Van Rochevin, the big serving uh, man from the Netherlands, Se- six seven six, six, seven, seven, six win. Over Roberto Ortega Almeida in a match that looked exactly like that scoreline would sound. You also had an upset of the number three seed Augustine Velotti knocks off three seed Roberto Sid five seven six four seven six Aziz Dugas Adrian Menendez Masiaras Pedro Sakamoto Hiroki Moria, and number one seed Emilio Gomez. Your other winners on the day. That's what's going on at the challenger level. Again, happening this week at the college or college level. Level, you have conference tournaments for the Big Ten, Atlantic Ten, Big Sky, Big West, Colonial Horizon, Patriot Summit, and Western Athletic Conferences. Uh, we're going to be talking about all of that action Thursday on our Great Shout podcast. So be on the lookout for that college tennis-centric uh, themed episode. And last but not least, a little bit of news from Wimbledon. They gave us just a schedule update as well as a brief press conference on what to expect moving forward. Wednesday, June 16th, we'll get further updates on the championship, including wild cards. There's going to be qualifying competition from June 21st to the 24th. That's a Monday through Thursday. Wednesday, the seeds are going to be announced the 23rd. Friday, the 25th, the official draw. Saturday and Sunday, it's going to be player media availabilities the 28th to 11th is the championships 5th to the 11th of July, the junior championships 8th to 11th, the wheelchair and quad wheelchair championships. The other thing we learned, no more Middle Sunday at Wimbledon. They're going to be playing each and every weekend. They're going to, you know, no longer is going to be that round of 16 Monday where you have all of the men, all of the women in action. Instead, it's going to be a continued staggered start, or I suppose they're going to maintain that stagger from start to finish until they get to those finals and look it, it was brought up a little bit on uh tennis twitter there is some romance in that manic monday at wimbledon when you do have eight uh round of 16 matches for both the men and the women and just high level tennis throughout the day but there's also something to maximizing exposure of your events and truth be told Why have a crazy event, a crazy day of tennis on a Monday when people are at work and doing other things when you can have it on a Sunday, a weekend, when the world is watching? And look, I love the the traditions of Wimbledon. I die for the day I can try strawberries and cream on site and enjoy a little bubbly champagne, but it's just – for tennis to survive, for tennis to be – To continue to grow and to maximize its presence on the global stage as a sport, this is the things you need to do. I know, you know, it's Super Bowl Sunday. It's not Super Bowl Tuesday. It's Super Bowl Sunday because Sundays are weekends and people watch TV on weekends much more so and tune into sporting events much more so than they do during the week. Uh, Tennis in particular, given it's an all-day affair, you need to have the free day to watch it all at least if you want to be, uh, if you want to watch it attentively, sure, you can have a screen on at Work, whatever we've all been there, uh, but you know, it, it, it a day like that. If manic Monday was on a Sunday, people would fall in love with Wimbledon and just the romance of the tennis schedule. A day of tennis like that, so I can't fault Wimbledon for making that decision. And again, we appreciate them keeping us up to date on all of the developments for the 2021 uh, Wimbledon event. But that will do it. For today's mini break podcast, if you have missed anything from the past week of action across the tennis world, you can catch up on it all on our website, crackedrackets.com. Of course, as always, I will ask that you like, rate, subscribe, review this podcast, our Great Shot Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast. If you need more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Cracked Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at Great Shot Pod. Shout out, as always, to our super producers, Max Figner Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job they do day in day out shout out as well to our friends at Midwest Sports go to MidwestSports.com use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order but with that in mind for super producers Fligner and Westoff our friends at Midwest Sports and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network I'm your host Alex Gruskin you know what we say that's the break we'll see you all tomorrow thanks everyone